Yet we are going to continue on. We are in Matthew, and uh, you can get your Bibles out and get them ready to Matthew chapter 22, the first verse in Matthew chapter 22. But we have been in this journey in Matthew. We've been talking about the radical dependence that Jesus demonstrates in Matthew. It's been one of the overarching themes. There are other themes in Matthew, but we have been highlighting that. And last week we talked about uh, God's grace in others and, and what happens when we see that and the jealousy that we can feel. Uh, and last week we said what a difficult passage it was because it was this landowner who gives everyone the same pay regardless of how much they worked. Um, and that, uh, that kind of gets on our sense of fairness and justice. Well, this week's parable is no less kind of disturbing on the surface, and so there's going to be some work that we need to go through, but I think that we're going to see that through this parable that God's invitation is good news for those who receive and respond to it. God's invitation is good news for those who will receive and respond to it. So we should hear some good news in this as we turn to Matthew chapter 22. So hear the word of the Lord as I share it with you. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, that is, the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Pharisees here. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and then killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we come once again to your word, and, and we admit that we struggle to understand it. We admit that we struggle with some of the ideas and some of the concepts because they rub on, on different facets of who we have been brought up to be. So would you open your word to us and show us what it is that you have for us and how we might learn to live as your beloved people in the midst of the brokenness and the difficulty of this world. Strengthen my words during this time. Mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when we read this passage, I'm going to guess that there are a number of issues here that concern us. There are a number of things that on the surface we go, ooh, ooh, ugh, this, ugh, I, I don't like this. This seems kind of a, a harsh response, seems like a kind of a, a very um, easily angered king. What is going on here? But I, let me suggest that there are three major lessons that I want to focus on as we unpack this parable. One is the breadth of God's invitation. Two is the nature of our sin. And three is the importance of our response. So that's the breadth of God's invitation, the nature of our sin, and the importance of our response. So when we read this passage, we can get upset by the king's response who, uh, who were originally invited, invited to his banquet. We read that he levels their city, and we're probably thinking, okay, don't come to a banquet, level a city. That, that seems a little disproportionate. It rubs against our, our sense of uh, fairness. It rubs against our sense that, you know, a crime should fit the punishment. You know, maybe it was just punishment enough that they didn't get to participate. You don't need to go and level a city as uh, in response, in, in today's parlance, to go and burn it all down. And so we say, you know, what is going on here? There must be more than meets the eye. So in Jesus' context, uh, when a noble, when a king, um, when a king invites someone to the, a banquet, think feudalism, think the medieval times. A king would have invited the nobles, the the, the officials that were important to his kingdom, people who really had an obligation to the king, people who would have um, standing in the kingdom but also owed the king all of their allegiance. And so these in invitations are going out to people who really have a, a reciprocal re relationship with the king. And so as they go, as the servants go out, these are people that... Uh, you know, the, the way it was phrased in Sunday school is they can't afford not to be seen at this party. They can't afford not to be seen at, at the, the great event of the kings because notice that the, at the beginning of the parable, this is a king who's having a wedding feast for his son. This is the heir. This isn't just any wedding banquet. I've ha I have whatever. This is the wedding feast for the heir to the kingdom. And so this is a great state event. This is, this is the person who is going to inherit everything and their future spouse. And so this is a major state event. This is, this is the event of the decade. And so what happens is that the king sends out the the servants and says, go tell them it's ready to come, uh, to come on in. And quite literally what it reads, uh, our version here, the, the NIV says that they refused. It's kind of more bland than that. The, the literal phrase there in the Greek says, and they didn't want to come. They didn't want to come. All right, so uh, uh, parents... You are parenting, and you are having a, a day, and you say to your child, listen, 
I need you to come with me to the store. We've got to go pick up some things. I don't want to come. I, that's, I don't care. <laughs> You're coming with me. I don't want to come. That's not how this works. And so in the same way, in this situation, the, the nobles, the officials of the kingdom saying, I don't want to come, is kind of a, a bit analogous to that. And so what we have here is a bit of verbal rebellion that is going on. At this point, the king would have had reason to just go ahead and, and have some words with his officials. I'm sorry, do you like your position in this kingdom? Great. If that's the case, I'll see you here in a couple hours. Instead, notice how the king responds to these officials who have absolutely snubbed him, who have verbally rebelled against the request of the king. The, the king says this. He says, Listen, the party is ready. I have butchered my oxen and my fattened calf, and, and the party is ready to roll. This is a gracious, gracious response. This is, this is a response that is totally outside of the rights of the king. It, it's, you know, in some ways, almost a beg. But a beg by... by by uh, showing enticements. And in response to this king saying, listen, I have spared no expense. This is going to be a fantastic wedding banquet. These people who have been invited put their own interests ahead of the interests of the king. Uh, one of them says, I, you know, I'm sorry, I've got to go attend to my business. I've got to go count my coins. Uh, thanks for the invite, though. Another one says, listen, I've got to go watch the corn grow. As I told the, the, the Sunday school, I lived in Iowa. I lived in Illinois. That is a major slap in the face. It's not interesting to watch the corn grow. And then the rest go from verbal rebellion into outright physical violence and rebellion. A rebellion in words turns to a rebellion in actions. They now showed the king twice what they thought, and they are showing him by murdering his representatives. And the king responds in a way that's within his right. After all, this is the king's land, after all. Uh, lords are really just kind of vassals who, who tend things in the name of the king. And so the king is now in his right to go out and to say, listen, if you are not going to be in a relationship with me, if you are not going to understand how this works, if you're not going to understand that I am the king and you are not, then I am going to take this land back. And he goes and he flattens the city. When we realize kind of the 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 implications of what's going on. We may still have an issue with flattening a city, but we can start to begin to understand, oh, this was more than just declining an invitation. This isn't mere rudeness. This isn't mere, mere um, you know, breach of protocol. This is rebellion. This is civil war. 
And so this is uh, the situation that has developed. And the king is enraged. Why wouldn't you come? I have prepared everything. I have prepared the, the meats. I have prepared the party. I have prepared the invitations. I have called you. All you have to do is just show up. The people who have the right to accept the king's invitation are declining that invitation in the clearest way possible. And Jesus, of course, was talking in this moment to uh, the Pharisees, to the chief priests, and to the teachers of the law. And he was making it in no uncertain terms that it was his own people, the Jews, who had declined God's invitation over and over and over again. I have sent you prophets, priests, and kings, and still you turn me down, and now I am sending my son, and you still turn me down. And what Jesus says is now the king is going to give the invitation to anyone who will accept it, to anyone who's going to listen, to anyone who is on the streets, regardless of of station in life, regardless of moral background, regardless of whether they are the bad or the good, the invitation is going to go out because you have declined it time and time again, and now it's time for the wedding feast to roll. And so like the king, God opens his invitation to be a part of the wedding feast of the Lamb to anyone who is willing to be diverted to that celebration. Now, I think uh, we need to, to pause there for one second. Uh, two things are, are happening here as, as we consider <clears throat> excuse me, the breadth of God's invitation. One is that, yes, this invitation is going out, but two, it's to a wedding feast. It is to a party. And as the people of God, I think sometimes we forget that. We get so caught up in in the idea of duty, in the idea of obligation, in the idea of, it's Sunday, I gotta wake up, I gotta go do this. That we have lost the joy of of, of the faith. We have woken up and say, all right, What's on my to-do list? I got to do this, I got to do this, and I got to do this. And on a part of that do- to-do list is the faith, but it is coming to the celebration. It is coming to the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's the good news that what we deserved has been taken by someone else, and what that person deserved, eternal glory, eternal, e- eternal life, eternal presence in, with God, has been given to us. Is that not a joyous thing? Oh, mercy. We're in trouble. Is life in Christ not a joyous thing? Yeah. All right, we're getting a little somewhere. Some of you are a little bit awake. Maybe this is what I got to expect out of Presbyterians on the daylight saving time change on Sunday, March 12th, 2023. Is there joy in going to the feast? If someone were walking down and said, listen, I got two tickets to the Super Bowl. I realize we're past. I got two tickets to the Stanley Cup. You want to go? I'm saying, I don't care who's playing. I'm going to that party. 
And this is so much more. Too often we get caught up in the duty and the obligation and the, well, I can't do this and I can't do that and, well, I can't do this and, and, and boy, just faith takes all the fun in life. No. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is a wonderful thing. And so part of our responsibility then is to make this invitation known. To, to make it known that we are on our way to something good and glorious and wonderful and you don't have to have the right bloodline. You don't have to have the correct, uh, the correct lineage. You don't have to have the correct anything that the king is making the invitation to anyone who is willing to come. Hallelujah, because that's a sinner like me. That is someone with my background. That is someone with, with my problems. That is someone with my anxieties, my fears, my issues, my failures. That's to whom this invitation has gone. And so it can be your invitation as well. Hallelujah. And we've got to, uh, we want to see then as well that, that the breadth of the invitation is wide. And that's good news because of the nature of our sin. You notice in this, you know, the rebellion often masks itself as something more benign. You know, I just don't want to come. I just don't want to do this. You know, I've got to tend to my business. I've got to tend to my, my crops. I've got I to tend to whatever it is. But what is at the heart of it is, listen, I don't want to do this. Being in relationship with you, God, means that there are certain obligations, and I would much rather be the Lord of my own life. I would much rather be king of my own castle. I would much rather be in charge of what I get to do and what I don't get to do. And so the, what it looks like benign on the outside really has to do with the depth of sin that is within our hearts. We like to pass it off because we would never say we're rebelling against God. You know, it's funny. I, uh, my mentor uh, was a pastor for 27 years at, at a number, I uh, think about four churches uh, of all varying size, uh, sizes. And he tells this story about a woman who came up to him after the service once. They had, they had sung Amazing Grace. And she said, listen, I just really can't relate to that. I'm not a wretch. I never have been a wretch. I never will be a wretch. And that's kind of how we feel. We, we, we listen to that song and we're like, you know, a wretch like me, but that's really referring to someone else. That's really referring to someone who's really bad. And I'm not really bad. You know, I got my problems. There are some things that, you know, I could work on, but I'm not wretch. That's me. But that niceness covers up the rebellion of our heart. Like the, the, the people who were invited first were really saying, I want to do this my way. Let me sing Frank Sinatra all day long. 
because I don't really want, I, I, I want the benefit, I want the land, I want the, 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 the ability to, to earn money, I want the ability to, to take care of myself and my family and, and so on, but I really don't want the responsibility of being in relationship to you, God. And so when you ask something of me, I'm going to say, eh, I don't really want to. Thank you, though. Appreciate the offer. And our sin is so deep. Our sin is so pervasive that we don't recognize, we have deluded ourselves into, into not recognizing that it's actual rebellion. But here's the thing. Recognizing the depth of our sin then allows us to accept the breadth of God's invitation. We realize how gracious He is. We realize that when He sends the second invitation and says, listen, I have everything ready and I have spared no expense, that that invitation is made because He desires to have us. He desires for us to be a part of His family and that His grace extends even to us. As we continue on, though, uh, there's one more re- rebellion that we need to talk about, and it informs how we enter God's kingdom. And it talks about the importance of our response to God. You know, I think we would love for this parable to end at verse 10, where, where the invitation goes out, and, and everyone who is on the street gets invited and gets brought in, and we, we look at this and we go, oh, it's going to be, a, the room is packed and the party is rolling, and this is wonderful, and, and we would just love to end this parable right here. But Jesus adds this pesky little, uh, this little addition that talks about someone in the wrong clothes. Uh, and... As a side note here, I think that the reason that we'd love for it to end at 10 is a part of the culture that we grow up in. It's a part of being Americans. We, we like to see, you know, people invited in. We like to see the melting pot and just let's lay, leave it there. And what we'd really like in this, in this um, parable is something called the dodo bird verdict. If you're familiar with that or not, are you familiar with Alice in Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland, a uh, scene where they have gotten wet around a lake and they're trying to dry off, and so the game is to see who can dry off first by running around this lake. And of course, they're having the dodo bird judge this thing, which is not a good idea. I mean, just, that's just right in the name. Like, let's be real here. Uh, and so the dodo bird has not kept track of things very well, and so at the, at the end, they're wondering who has won. And the dodo bird responds... This way, the dodo bird says, everyone has won and all must have prizes. And that's kind of the way we would like to end this parable. Verse 10, everyone has won and all must have prizes. Welcome to the party. But as we take a look at this, we can become disturbed by this idea that someone wearing the wrong clothes is going to get thrown out. And we don't want to exclude people because, you know what, we might be excluded ourselves. We might be wearing the wrong clothes. We might be doing the wrong things. Because of that, and quite a few other reasons, um, some of them reflecting poorly on the church, I might add, the, the church broadly, our culture cringes anytime the church starts to talk about anyone who might be excluded. But we've got to deal with this. 
In in, uh, verse 11, Jesus says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And we look and we think once again, first it was turning down requests, now it's bad clothing. Can anyone from the 70s or 80s get into the kingdom of God? But here's the issue. One person has accepted the invitation, yet tries to enter the banquet on his terms and not the king's terms. Here's the thing. People would not have gone and would not be expected to go straight from their work to the party. They would have been expected <coughs> excuse me, to go home and clean up at the very least. I mean, even in Jesus' day, let's be real here. No one wanted someone coming straight from the fish market No one wanted someone coming straight from the fields or any other labor and going straight into a party. Especially as you are reclining, remember, you're not sitting in chairs around a table, you are reclining on cushions with your feet next to other people's heads. You're expected to clean up a little bit. And here's the thing. It was common for kings... Uh, people hosting these events to actually provide the festive clothing for the people coming in. The clothing is provided. The, the, all you need to do is wash up a little bit and be ready. Yet this person seems to be ignoring all of that and decides to come to, par- to the party on their own terms. Yes, I would love to ha- come to your party, but I am just going to come as I am, and, and just the way, no one here, and, and you can appreciate this, no one here rolled out of bed this morning and came this morning, right? We, we all took a shower, yes? I can smell you, it's all right, you took a shower, it's, it's fine. And so, there's a, the expectation, and this person is knowingly flouting all of those rules. This person is knowingly flouting all of those expectations and just saying, I'm going to do as I want to. Thank you, King, for your generosity. I will take it on my own terms. Once again, it's, it's a form of rebellion. It's, it's a form of throwing the King's generosity back in his own face. And it's in light of this that, that the King throws him out. This isn't this isn't a fashion faux pas. This is a willful flouting of every expectation. When we come into Christ, when we become a part of Christ, there is an expectation of transformation. Now hear me, there is a difference here between religion and Christ. Pastor Tim Keller describes this uh, very well. He, he says that, that religion, in religion, we work, therefore we are accepted. You know, we, we, we do the right things, we, we follow the right rules, and therefore then we are accepted. That's religion. Or I obey so that I am accepted. In Christ, it's different. In Christ, we are accepted, therefore we obey. Notice there's a big difference there. In one, we are looking for the acceptance. We think that what we are doing is going to earn our way there. In the other, we respond out of, because of the graciousness of God. I am accepted, therefore 
I obey. And that's an important distinction and, and what, something that we want to hold in tension in this, this passage. Otherwise, we could think, all right, we have to do the right things and then we'll be accepted. No, no. This is a passage about the, the breadth of God's grace, the nature of our sin, but the importance of our response. After accepting God's invitation, we look and become more and more like kingdom people. As Pastor Dina mentioned, this is what theologians call sanctification. Our response to become more and more like the people God created us to be. You know, Paul puts it this way, because Paul, Paul is good at arguments sometimes. He says, you know, if my sinning increases grace, then shouldn't I just keep on sinning so that grace can abound more and more? You know, I'll go out and sin, there will be more grace. Sounds great to me. And what he says is, you died to sin. How can you be in it any longer? Sin is exactly what separates us from God. And so why wouldn't we, after being accepted by God, desire to be more and more in relationship with Him? To know that we are headed to the wedding banquet of of the Son. And to respond in a wonderful way, in a joyous way, to the acceptance of God. That's the process of sanctification, to become more and more as God has created us to be in Christ. To become more and more like little Christs walking this earth. In relationship with God, in relationship with one another. And so this is... this passage has some major implications. It has uh, major implications in how we respond to God's Word. Are we going to listen and do it, or are we going to say, you know, I don't want to do that? We struggle as people um, when we look at something like the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, you know, just six chapters later in this. You know, when, when Jesus says, go therefore into the world and make disciples, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I, behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You know, Christ has meant that for us. And how many of us have, have accepted his benefit and said, you know, I, I don't think that's for me. We've been polite about it. And really, I just, I don't want to do that. That's, uh, I, I, might, I might have to have conversations with people about religion, and that's one of the two things that you don't talk about, religion and politics. And it might cause me to lose friendships, and it might cause this, and it might cause that. So, you know, I just don't want to. And yet, how then are we looking in light of this parable? How many of us look at the the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians and think, yeah, I've got some of that, but you know what? To really work on that, I really have to rearrange some things in my life. So, you know, I think I'm good enough. I think I'm just going to camp out here and know that just, you know, some of those things, uh, peace, patience, all right, that one's just not going to, I'm just not a patient person. I'm kind of kind, and and I I can be self-controlled, and so, you know what? Lord, thank you for taking me as I am. And 
and yet we are told to clothe ourselves in Christ. Not if it feels right, not if it feels good, not if, but it, as a gracious response to God's acceptance of us, we then obey. And so it affects the way that we take care of ourselves in the faith. It affects the way that we shape our children. You know, I don't want to really have these. It's so hard to teach children uh, scriptural truths. It's so hard to mold them and shape them into people who pray. Um, you know what? I just want them to make their own decision. Hmm. If we claim Christ, but we don't carry any family resemblance, what does that mean? If we claim we are in the family of God, but we have no family resemblance, I think we've got to be a little bit nervous. Not that we are earning our acceptance, but that God provides everything we need to become as He created us to be. We have seen the breadth of God's grace. We see the nature of our sin, and we see the importance of response, our response. And in that, we can see that God's invitation really is good news for those who will receive it and respond to it. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank you that, that you do call us, and thank you that you do not leave us in our sin. You know, to, to think about an eternity of life with no transformation, Lord, that, that sounds awful. But to think of an eternity whereby we transform and we become ultimately as you have created us to be in your Son, that sounds wonderful. So help us to do that even now, to, to engage in the process that you've called us to engage, sanctification, and to invite others along with us. Lord, we give you thanks. Help us to live that out this day, we pray, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.